and welcome to the YPP Infra Unstructured podcast, where we'll be talking about our infrastructure and how it relates to our lives. Today, from the YPP, you have myself, Brittany Harris, the CEO of Qualisflow, a tool that helps construction teams to track and manage their materials and their waste for a more efficient and sustainable construction project. I have the great pleasure of hosting two industry experts to get the lowdown on PAS 2080. We'll be discussing what it is and how does it affect our roles as engineers and infrastructure professionals. So you may have come across PAS 2080 in your role already. You may even be an expert looking to hear new perspectives, or you may be completely new to the topic and looking to get a quick digestible introduction. Either way, this promises to be a great addition to your day. So before we dive in, I'd like to invite our experts to introduce themselves. So Natalie, would you like to start? Hi, yes, my name is Natalie Bird. I'm an investment appraisal advisor at Mock McDonald, and I mostly work in the water sector and I'm specialising in kind of carbon management. So that basically means I support on projects, doing things like carbon accounting, working with water companies, develop baseline estimates of their carbon emissions and embedding PAS 2080 into their investment planning processes. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, Natalie. So also with us today, we have Rainier Valkasel from Bureau Happold. Rainier, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Rainier Valkasel from Bureau Happold. Uh, I'm an associate director in the infrastructure team in London. Uh, most of the work that I do is, is based on detailed engineering design works in London, mostly in the private residential uh, development sector, but we also do a lot of uh, city master plannings within uh, the Middle East. Again, a lot of the work we do is focused on highways design, um, utility design, drainage and earthworks. In the last couple of years, we've sort of started to also delve into um, sustainable solutions for engineering and, and infrastructure projects. And yeah, we've sort of started to also look at applications relating to, to common management. And I think that's sort of where we're looking to use PAS 2080. Again, I've got a really good theor- uh, theoretical knowledge of PAS 2080, but I'm sort of also learn from the likes of uh, Natalie just to see, you know, from an application point of view and from an actual project point of view, how we can apply it. Great. I think we'll all be learning a bit today as we're still trying to unpick what PAS 2080 is. So I guess to really kick off the session, the best way to start is with a definition. Um, So Natalie, can you tell us, you know, what is PAS 2080? Okay, yeah. So PAS 2080 is a publicly available standard, so it's not quite as... Uh, it's not formalised, it's not an ISO standard yet, uh, but there is the potential for it to become one in the future. Um, and it's essentially a framework for managing infrastructure, whole life carbon emissions. And in the most part, it helps us to reduce cost as well. Um, and there's mainly a focus on developing a culture of challenge and promoting innovation. So it's essentially a specification for whole life carbon management in the provision of economic infrastructure. So we're talking about the water sector, energy, transport projects, communications and waste. And implementing PAS 2080, I would say, is a bit more like implementing an environmental management system than any other of your kind of classic sustainability standards. So you might be thinking about BREEAM or LEED. Uh, The focus is more on embedding carbon reduction into an organisation by driving the right behaviours and engaging your supply chain and working towards continuous improvement rather than having, say, a rating of sustainability and, and kind of like ticking boxes, if that makes sense. 
Great. Yeah. So it's a lot about that sort of behavioral and, and cultural change and putting in processes. I always find it really helpful to understand a bit around, you know, what is it not? So you said it's not a sort of tick box exercise. Um, Rainier, can you sort of elaborate on what is PAS 2018 not? Yeah, so just uh, following on from what, what Natalie said, it's definitely not a, a tick box exercise. So it's, it's not a case of if you if you achieve X, Y, Z, you get a certain number of you know nectar carbon points. Um, <laughs> it's it's more looking at the actual uh, quantitative um, calculations and sort of how you can reduce emissions on projects, and that's throughout the entire life of the project, all the way through from conception, all the way through to construction, handover, and and operation. Um, what is also not is it's it's not a it's not a focused um, process on on the user. It's more focused on um, sort of the um, sort of the, the leaders and the actual practitioners. So it's focused on uh, clients, designers, um, contractors, constructors, and suppliers. So it's looking at people who have uh, direct influence or control over the processes relating to design, construction, and operation. Um, I think the, the onus uh, for the user is more um, from a, I guess, from a, a governance point of view, um, with with policies looking to looking to um, encourage people to, to change their behaviour. I mean that that said, as practitioners and as designers and, and uh, constructors, who sort of have that influence to design infrastructure and to reduce carbon on our projects, and that sort of helps also change the user behaviour. I think again, what what it's not, it's not um, it's not a, a cost management tool. So again, um, loads of studies have been done looking at how past 2080 has influenced projects, and it is quite clear that if you do reduce carbon on a project, you you reduce cost as well. So there's a direct relationship. But at the end of the day, it's not a, a cost management process. It's very much focused on on the carbon management elements of it. Um, so yeah, I think in, in a nutshell, that's what it's not. Yeah. So you mentioned quite a few different players there from sort of clients, designers, contractors, and also, you know, the broader supply chain. You know, how far does it actually extend across our supply chain? Natalie, I don't know if you want to start on that. Yeah. So PAS 2080 does kind of explicitly, nicely identify who it is aimed at. And it actually specifies in quite concrete terms what activities each kind of component of the supply chain should be doing in relation to the standards. So it covers specific actions for asset owners. So in that might be your water companies or your energy utilities uh, for designers. So for consultancies like Mott McDonald or Bureau Happold and, and what we can do within our remit as designers. And then it also has specific activities and, and things that people need to do for constructors or contractors as well as suppliers so people who are providing materials or products to site as well what it doesn't do is is really cover national and sector level policy um, but it does recognize that wider government and regulatory remits that are kind of described in quite a a report called the infrastructure carbon review so that there are you know there are other other policy levels um that it acknowledges, but it's not necessarily for governments or or sector um, organisations to implement so much. Yeah, Rainier, do you have anything to add on that? No, I think that's a, that's a really good uh, that's a really good snapshot. I think um, in in a line, I guess you could just say it's for all value chain members involved in the in in, uh, in the infrastructure delivery and on infrastructure projects. So it's everyone in that actual value chain. 
Awesome. Yeah, and I think there's some of the sort of reports that you referenced there. I'll try and make sure there's links to that below so that people can dig into that a little bit further. So obviously there's been a huge amount going on in, in the public eye at the moment around trying to deliver net zero um, off the back of Theresa May's commitment um, that she made just as she was leaving office. And so, you know, lots of industries, including construction and infrastructure, are trying to figure out how they get there. So what is it that PAS 2080 is trying to achieve and how does that really relate to our net zero ambitions? So um, primarily it's about defining good carbon management, I would say. So the PAS does provide clarity and it gives you a common language for asset managers and other organisations in the value chain on what constitutes good carbon management and the key enablers to drive carbon reduction. So it really draws on leadership as being a main, as a key, as a key driver for driving carbon management. And it also gives you a consistency uh, to ensure that carbon is consistently and transparently quantified at, at different points in the delivery that enables carbon data to be shared transparently along the supply chain. So in the context of the water sector, for example, that's where I work, uh, we can build it into the investment planning process through considering carbon emissions associated with the solution at multiple stage gates. So that's kind of the main the main thing that it's trying to achieve, I guess, is enabling to factor carbon quantification and reduction into your decision making at multiple stages along the supply chain as early as identifying different options all the way through to detailed design. Yes that sort of transparency and accountability piece is something that I think we've heard a lot about and is obviously going to be really critical in delivering net zero. And Rainier is there anything else that you think you know PAS 2080 is really trying to achieve for this industry? Yeah I think um so the, the sectors I work in is very much focused on, on the detail design, but de- delivering designs all the way through from concept, detail, and then taken through to, to construction. I think what's really useful about the standard is it does try to align with those, um, with those key uh, stages in the design and infrastructure delivery process. So I think having this process, which sort of aligns quite nicely, is quite useful. So, for example... During the, the early stages of, of defining what the brief is, developing strategies uh, for, for infrastructure interventions, you can start looking at what sort of targets you want to set, what sort of baselines you're looking to looking to uh, measure against. And then as you go through detailed design and construction, it's about quantifying what your what your what your carbon savings are or how you're reducing um, emissions and then it's also looking at um, essentially monitoring and recording them through the full life of of the assets all the way through operation maintenance and decommissioning so I think the, the way it aligns is, is really useful and I think that's sort of a good a good platform to uh, visualize how we can use it on projects. Mm. I mean, that multi-party alignment is so critical in this industry, particularly as we, you know, we are notoriously quite um, siloed and fragmented throughout those different stages. And I think that that leads us on really nicely to, you know, what are some of the issues with PAS 2080? I mean, you mentioned earlier this need to sort of monitor and report on stuff. And I think one thing that we've seen a lot is the challenges around capturing data and making sure it's high quality and really being able to use that to inform things like carbon assessments. So Natalie, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about some of the challenges you face with PAS 2018 and what the issues are. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily a limitation with PAS 2080 as a standard in itself, but it, it doesn't really define what data or emissions factors you should be using. It doesn't provide that information for you. And across the industry, there, there is a lack of data around you know all sectors on what emissions factors to use. There isn't a huge amount of supply chain information. So getting an accurate, highly confident carbon value for an entire building, for example, is incredibly difficult and PAS 2080 doesn't solve that problem. Um, so one of the main issues is that lack of consistency in the data. Um, I mean, the standard does refer to, it does give a high level framework of how to, to do carbon assessments and it does refer to other standards that exist uh, in order to do that, but it doesn't, it doesn't in itself address that issue of there being a lack of data across the industry. Although, when, it, when we talk about engaging the whole supply chain, we are talking about the type of behaviour and it does encourage the type of leadership which we will need to see in order to address that data challenge. So as asset owners and designers, we can push the contractors to make sure that they're recording you know, exactly what they're using when they're building something so that we can feed that back into our, our collective understanding of what goes into building a building, for example, and we can make better decisions at that, that earlier stage about whether to pick, you know, say, wooden beams versus steel beams or steel tanks versus concrete tanks, for example. And I'd say another kind of limitation is that it encourages, whilst it encourages the use of baselining and then it enables you to define your own carbon reduction targets, they are not necessarily inherently net zero targets. It doesn't mandate a net zero target. It doesn't even mandate a kind of absolute carbon reduction in kind of in, in absolute terms so you, you might set a target that's related to carbon intensity so like the amount of carbon per pound spent or carbon reductions of like one asset type versus your previous design standards so it might be how did you build a sewage treatment works you know 10 years ago versus how you're doing it now um, and so you can demonstrate reductions in carbon and sort of be accredited to the standard without without necessarily reducing your absolute carbon emissions can i ask a question yes go ahead so uh, natalie with regards to baselining so do you think we have enough data to start developing some some tangible baselines for how we do things so so for example you know if you, if you have a road you've got a typical road construction and you're using asphalt layers or concrete layers we, you can kind of calculate the cost of transporting it in. You can calculate the, the cost of actually manufacturing those materials, the cost of installing it, the cost of maintenance. Do, do you think we, we have enough data to develop some tangible baselines? I think the short answer is yes. I would caveat that, that they're not, it's not going, we can't guarantee that it's a perfect baseline. But um, you can definitely use things like, uh, design standards or historic data to build up an understanding of how you have historically done things um, and use emissions factors that are out there. For example, the ICE Bath database is a very commonly used database of emissions factors that has information for various different materials that are typically used in the construction industry and, and we lean on quite heavily in the water sector. And so, yes, I would say there have been good sets of models built up within the water sector by certain water companies um, that do enable you to, to 
develop a baseline that's good enough to identify what your key hotspots areas are but it you know with the caveat that that is not 100 percent exactly with the amount yeah. of co2 that you're going you have historically used it, it it but it does give you kind of an order of magnitude and an area you can see what kind of components yeah i guess it gives you plans a... are high in carbon and then you can focus your energy on reducing yeah. in those kind of hotspot areas I guess it gives you a good starting point. And as you start to develop different types of scenarios and you, you can sort of develop bespoke uh, tools. I think well, what would be great is if we just had like a, a database somewhere and we all put it together and it's like a public database. I know with, with, with GIS, a lot of the projects that, that we work on, there are publicly available databases for, for contours, for uh, existing utilities, road layers, um, traffic data, trip generations, if we can start layering on some information with regards to um, carbon as well, that'd be really useful. There's some really interesting work going on in this space, um, both in the academic and the sort of uh, technology disruptor world as well. I know the Institution of Civil Engineers have been doing a lot of work with their carbon project to try and nail down, you know, where some of these databases are and where we've got gaps. And I'm sure they're publishing some of that later in the year. Um, so I'll try and link to that as well. I think, you know, coming back to that, that baseline point, we obviously do have a site issue or a challenge with good quality data across the industry. And I think one of the um, barriers that we seem to come across a lot and we talked a lot about within the carbon project with the ICE um, was that we sort of design with this sort of idea of what's going on, but we're not really tracking what's actually happening during construction very effectively. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we see a lot with Qflow as we're deploying that on site is that what people think is going on actually isn't really what's happening. So we particularly see this gap with waste data um, where you're having, you know, your waste reports show 99% diversion from landfill. And then actually when you reference that back against the environment agency's um, review of these waste facilities, it's not the case. They're sort of actually reporting around 70%. So there's a huge, huge gap going on here, which no one's really sort of put fully unpicked yet so there's a lot of interesting work going on in that space and as we start to use digital tools and different systems like that we'll be able to capture much better quality data and also as long as we're making sure that those digital systems integrate and interface with each other as you say Rania we'll be able to layer them up and actually get yeah. this incredible sort of digital twin um, of the world as it were and, and really start managing our infrastructure effectively and I know that's something that um, Mark Enzer from MOTS is um, very, very passionate about, is this sort of digital twin approach. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there as we move forward. We've talked a lot about, you know, um, the challenges and some of the better bits of, of PAS 2080 as well. Um, I think there's so many different areas that we can really dig into. But I think what would be really interesting is actually going into some of the more practical applications for, for our listeners so when, you know, you're looking at PAS 2080, what is it that accredited companies are doing that you think is working really well? And where can some of these listeners actually start when looking at PAS 2080? Natalie, do you want to start? Yeah, so I'll start with what Mock McDonald is doing, because obviously that's who I work for. Um, and Mock McDonald is certified PAS 2080 in our role as a designer on our global infrastructure projects. And so in order to achieve that, we had to provide various pieces of evidence to an auditor covering aspects such as our leadership. So talking about events that we're doing to challenge our challenging our clients targets of carbon reduction events such as the carbon crunch which is an annual event which we host externally 
discussing and bringing people across the industry together to talk about carbon reduction. Um, we had to demonstrate our governance, so how we've integrated carbon reduction into our own business management systems. For example, we require carbon assessments on all of our major projects. And we also need to demonstrate that we are able to calculate carbon. So we have a tool internally called the Moata Carbon Portal that we can use. Yeah, we can use it internally and we also sell it to clients uh, to produce carbon assessments quite rapidly. And so ultimately, we're evidencing that we can produce low carbon solutions. Um, but if we are thinking a bit more broadly beyond just designers, water companies, for example, are an example of asset owners. And PAS 2080 requires for them that they would have to implement a carbon baseline. So, for example, in the water sector, it's very heavily regulated. And so... They develop a plan every five years. That's a nice kind of clearly defined set of activities that, you, that they're planning on doing. And it's quite a convenient choice for your baseline carbon assessment. So most water companies who are accredited to PAS 2080 will have basically set a baseline based on maybe that their plans for the next five years. Um, and then you can set carbon reduction targets relative to that. So that might be the reduction of emissions relative to your baseline either by cost cost per pound spent or carbon per asset. And so they also need to demonstrate that they are enabling their designers and their project managers to reduce carbon on their projects. So it's not just... So what is it you think MOTS does so well? What is it really good at when it comes to PAS 2080? Is it the, the leadership at the top or is it, you know, the practical application on each project? I think ultimately... Our role as designers is our ability to influence, I think. And so demonstrating strong leadership in carbon reduction is really powerful. Ultimately, as designers, we're kind of beholden to what the client wants to an extent. And so if we're able to influence our clients to take carbon more seriously and to make better decisions, then that's kind of the biggest way that we're able to to reduce carbon, I think, on our on our projects. Obviously, mm-hmm. being able to, to to do good design and and um, actually create low carbon solutions is is another level. But um, I think ultimately, designers' leadership is one of the key components of PAS twenty eighty in terms of what good performance is. It's, it's always about driving that change. Yeah, are you seeing the same when you're at Burrhappold? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess um, from a from a greater company point of view, we have sort of made made a statement that we are looking to reduce carbon emissions on all of our projects by fifty percent by twenty thirty. So, in line with that, um, the infrastructure team are looking to get PAS twenty eighty accreditation. And again, our our starting point, so our our phase one, is very much focused on looking to develop that structure of strong leadership, strong governance, getting buy in from uh, senior management and then essentially just creating a, a, a transparent um, and an open system and process to get people involved and to encourage people to, to, to consider reducing carbon on, on their projects. We've also been working on setting our carbon targets. And again, I mentioned that, that 50% uh, reduction for all of our projects by 2030, but we've also set a um, reduction of 21% by 2025 for our company operations and for our actual employees. So not just focus on projects, but also focus on, on, on users and, you know, looking to, to, to change our behavior, how we come into the office, how we interact with the office and how we, we interact with our, our energy usage. 
Um, and then also developing the baseline. So as we discussed previously, having a you know strong, um, clear uh, and consistent baseline is really important when it comes to actually measuring performance. So again, we've, we've been developing that quite quite a lot in the last six months, um, as well as looking at developing a, a dashboard. So we've been developing an infrastructure carbon management uh, dashboard in collaboration with our sustainability team and our, our buildings team, who are a, a few steps um, ahead of us, but it's sort of looking at lessons learned and building on what they've already developed, uh, just to provide a, a tangible um, dashboard. Again, from a, from a scale point of view, it's, it's a much different scale. Our, our colleagues in, in sustainability and buildings are focused on uh, in individual buildings with, with finite or much smaller elements, be it columns, beams, foundations, piles, whereas from a, an infrastructure and from a city's point of view, you're looking at it from a much bigger scale. I mean, you, you might be moving hundreds of millions of cubes of, um, of earth around a site so the actual actual cost of carbon and the actual emissions related to that is is massive so it's sort of looking at how you can quantify that relatively accurately with a with a toolkit so we we, we yeah. sort of we more at the, at the beta testing stage um, and we're sort of looking to start testing it on projects so Rainy, you've mentioned that you've got these sort of targets for 2025 and, and, and moving forwards. And then you've also sort of started setting this baseline. So if you're if you were in an organization that was starting from scratch, is that where you suggest people start or are there other things that people need to do first? I think, again, leadership is the most important thing. So that's that's your starting point. Uh, getting buy in next is just identifying what your target is. So put put a number on it. If it's 50 percent, 25 percent, 75 percent, at least it's a it's a target so that the whole company can can strive for. And you can get everyone behind that just to help um, encourage that change in behavior and also the influence that we have on our projects. Um, and I think the, the next step is just defining what that baseline is because you, you need to have a, a starting point to, to measure performance. I think that those three factors are the most important if you are starting. So it's leadership, defining your targets, and then developing your, your baselines. So we've talked a lot about leadership. I think, Natalie, you very much, you started this conversation with talking about, you know, strong leadership. And really, this is about, you know, behavior change and putting in strong governance structures and really being committed to that change. So, you know, a lot of what I think leadership is about is really inspiring others to sort of follow you on this mission. So how do we inspire people to really get on board with PAS 2080 and how do we lead ourselves into this sort of new era of, of positive carbon infrastructure? I mean, that's quite a big question. I think <laughs> <laughs> got to challenge you guys. <laughs> or, or individual engineers, you know, to, I think... I think a really important thing is about talking talking about carbon reduction. This is something that everybody is talking about these days and is really exciting. And PAS 2080 is a standard that it does enable us to kind of move down this path of carbon reduction. So whilst it's not, you know, a standard for this is exactly what a net, net zero building looks like or this is what net zero construction looks like, it, it does enable us to kind of, it gives us a direction in order to get there. Um, and I think that, that as as individuals we need to be talking about that kind of process i think sometimes we can get hung up on um 
you know it, we don't you don't have all the answers there's nothing I can do because I don't I don't know or you know low carbon concrete is is too difficult to specify so I'm just like I'm just not going to bother and I think that you know whilst it's a standard you can kind of apply some of the, the points the main points of it to your everyday life and how you how you go about approaching and designing things which is to kind of it's about trying to understand what needs to change in order for you to be able to make make those make those changes so for example talking about low carbon concrete it's about going back and understanding okay but let's just probe that a bit deeper like what are the situations where I can use it how can I encourage my clients to to see the the benefit of using low carbon concrete in certain in certain um, situations and are there opportunities where I can trial it see if it works and just try and get everybody sort of envisioning a future where this is actually possible as opposed to where we I think some of us can be a bit stuck now which is like oh it's all very difficult and there's there's no silver bullets and I'm just going to kind of just get a bit stuck because you don't really know how to um move forward um Natalie for a way like for you the leadership side is about you know helping people move forward with decisions and not getting stuck in that decision paralysis but also identifying and managing those risks but saying you know what we're okay with these risks we may not 100% understand low carbon concrete but we're we're okay with actually doing that and we're going to move forward on that basis so in a way you know leadership is also about that sort of risk management side of things yeah absolutely and actually that's something we have talked about a few times so some one of the things we do is quite often around low carbon is running workshops with clients at early design stages and trying to identify opportunities and, and work out how we can make those opportunities turn into reality mm. and risk is a huge component of that and I think it, it's quite boring but you know something it comes back to like procurement and contracts and and how you can work with your supply chain to manage the risk of doing something differently because ultimately we're not going to get to a low carbon future the low carbon future that we need if we just carry on doing things the same yeah. way that we have been so far and it's it's about how can we work with our the whole value chain to drive a change from the business as usual to where we need to be I mean, have we got any any sort of feel good stories? I know Paris 2018 come in, came into effect in 2016, but do we have any like tangible projects that kind of showcase all all the benefits? So, I would probably have to reference Anglian Water, you know, as as a as a leader in this space, um, particularly in the water sector when it comes to driving carbon management. Um, and the way that they've managed to engage like set strong targets and engage their supply chain is is a really good example so they had a target of reducing um their capital carbon emissions by 60 percent i think this was an old target by against a 2010 baseline and they have have achieved that so that's really really impressive that they've managed to drive down their capital carbon emissions like so much um through this kind of predated PAS 2080, but they, you know, they're still applying the same principles now and they, they are accredited to PAS 2080 now. So, you know, it can be done. There are companies out there who are really pushing the boundaries of, of carbon emissions and capital carbon emissions in particular. Um, but there are, there is, there's a, still a lot of scope for people yeah. to improve, you know? I, mean, I, I ask the question because what, what inspires me, if I see something, I say, oh, this is like an amazing, amazing bridge or amazing piece of like, highway or public realm and then 
you know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a visual inspiration that makes you think, wow, this is, this is really working. Like this, this project has turned out great. It's, you know, it's, um, it's net zero or they've re reduced the emissions by X amount and they've reduced the actual cost of the project. So like seeing something, which is a, a tangible, real thing uh, that usually inspires me. Um, yeah, I certainly think, you know, as an industry, we're not always that great at shouting about, you know, the good stuff that we do. And so maybe one thing that the Institution of Civil Engineers can take forward or even the National Infrastructure Commission is actually sharing some of those good news stories and really getting that out there. I know we're um, deployed on a project at the moment called The Forge by Landsec, and they're targeting to be a, a net zero um, building. And they're doing some really great stuff with innovation. And they've got funding from Innovate UK to really push the boundaries, take those measured risks and really explore how they can um, you know, deliver net zero on a commercially viable project. And so I think we're certainly going to start seeing some of those more um, headline projects coming through to really move and inspire people. Right. Well, I think we're almost at the end of our session, but I've got a bonus question that we talked very briefly about as we were prepping for this. And it, it very much follows on from um, what Landsec are doing is, you know, what is the role of digital in delivering PAS 2080? What have you seen that is working or where are there gaps where we should be using more digital innovations to really help deliver our net zero ambitions? I guess well, from a digital point of view, it's you, you've, you've got different scales. So the projects that, um, that I work on, you've got, you've got your, your detail design residential UK based or uh, highway UK based project, which is a relatively small scale project. Um, and the other scale is where you've got a, a massive master plan or a massive city master plan where you need to sort of consider holistic um, interventions and we've we've started to really look at how we can make our designs more efficient through um, through digital twins and through modeling different scenarios using digital applications so for example the larger scale master plans at a city scale we tend to use uh, GIS platforms and smaller scale where we sort of have that uh, smaller interface with with buildings and uh, private sector developments, um, it's more looking at uh, platforms like Civil 3D and, and Revit. Um, so I think where we can start looking at the role of digital is how we layer in all of this information with regards to carbon emissions, reducing carbon. So much work has been done on developing platforms and BIM platforms that bring together all of the different design elements and engineering elements, and then also monitoring the actual performance of those systems throughout the life of, of the asset or throughout the life of, of the city. So having a look at how we can layer in that carbon narrative along with the smart cities narrative, along with the efficient infrastructure systems narrative, I think that's going to be key going forward. So I think all of those systems are in place. I think we just need to identify how we can layer in the thinking of past 2080 and how we can layering that carbon narrative going forward. Yeah, Natalie, I know MOTS are very proud of their Moata platform. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how they're leveraging that to deliver past 2080? Yeah, so like I mentioned before, the carbon portal is a really kind of key product that we have developed over many years, which, which takes lots of different data sets uh, of emissions factors, including some models, that are more compl complicated so models that are, so yeah, you can have like emissions factors for individual materials so like per kilogram of concrete per kilogram of steel or you can have emissions factors per 
a length of pipeline or a, a length of road and then kind of build that up so there's even models in that platform that are things for an entire pumping station or an entire process unit so like a, um, an activated sludge plant for example that's very water sector specific um, piece of process but it's a tool that basically enables you to drag and drop and build up carbon assessments very quickly by having a really user-friendly platform for you to input your key design information and, and build up an assessment very quickly and you can also see a breakdown of what components of that are your kind of transport emissions what is your material emissions and what are your construction emissions and that's really really useful I think and it also has a a plugin that enables you to take sort of your Revit designs export that and then import it into the portal and it can automatically kind of spit out a carbon value based on all of the tags that you've assigned to your BIM model. So that's a really useful way of rapidly producing carbon assessments and kind of giving your designers that insight really, really quickly. And that I think is going to be a really useful role of digital in the future is kind of as we move forward and we build up more and more data around designs kind of as built various different options it kind of enables you to do rapid assessments and rapid optioneering a lot more easily mm -hmm. because one of the main things about driving carbon reduction is being able to compare options and kind of compare options quite early on in the design and digital I think is going to be really important to enable us to make sense of all of that data and drive that good decision making so yeah, yeah that's kind of how I would see digital being fundamental is like just enabling us to make sense of data yeah you've both mentioned um sort of in interoperability of platforms quite a lot so obviously layering things like Revit and GIS and making sure that things are speaking to each other and I think one thing that we're definitely seeing in the tech world at the moment is that um the interoperability of systems is becoming a lot easier so with the introduction of APIs um which are basically data calling mechanisms so you don't have to have really clunky um connections between systems and also obviously with things being hosted on the cloud you have a lot more shareability and communication across different platforms which is really enabling a step change in the way that we work together as an industry and then on the other side that sort of data piece Natalie that you talked about is is so important um, and I know you know we've talked a lot from the design side obviously coming from from Mots and Bureau Hapod design and, and operation of the key pieces I think construction there's a risk that we sort of um, just hope that construction happens the way that we design it and one of the things that we're really starting to see in the industry now is this focus on trying to really track what is going on in construction and there's a lot of innovation particularly digital innovation in that space to try and help us get a grip on you know really what is going into our buildings do they meet the safety and quality and sustainability standards that we set out during design and are we actually able to maintain them in line with those standards so, so that they are actually the right materials to be in those buildings and things like the Hackett review have really brought that to light and really being able to tie in using digital systems all of these pieces from quality safety and sustainability is going to be really critical to having a really effective industry moving forward so I want to wrap up there but before we completely close off I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to give a final sort of inspirational thought on someone looking at PAS 2080 um, so what would you say to someone looking at PAS 2080 and how can they kick off? Oh wow so I was just thinking about things that we maybe haven't really touched on enough and I just kind of wanted to mention one of the key components of 
of the standard, which is the carbon reduction hierarchy, which basically says um, in order to reduce carbon, you kind of have a different influence at different levels of your outline, you kind of the design process. Um, and if you can look at it, if you can prioritize options to build nothing, then that's where you have the biggest opportunity to reduce carbon. And then you can you can maybe build less. So can you optimize the, your design a bit better, you know, build the smallest kind of tank for the process flow that you have, for example, make sure that you're really optimizing your design. And then can you build clever and can you build efficiently? So can you optimize your material design? And then there's opportunities further down that, that process to, to look at things like using electric vehicles or you know electric plant in order to be able to minimize your construction emissions and so i think that's my inspirational point is that that's something that anyone can take hold of and apply to your design so build nothing build less build clever build efficiently um and i think that that's just a quite a tangible useful approach to take to your design yeah one key takeaway if you possibly can is build nothing and work your way down i think that's a really exactly. great closing point you could probably summarize those in in three key points i guess use less stuff specify low carbon or offset carbon i mean if you could do those three things in line with PAS 2080 then you know you're making a good start um, i think if you are an organization or an individual who wants to sort of uh, start implementing this within your your organization i think key points are really just to Develop that, that leadership structure right at the start. Get buy-in from senior management. Next step is sort of just identify what your carbon targets are and put some, some tangible milestones on that, be it 2030, 2021, 20, 2025. 20, just give yourself a, a, a bit of a milestone to aim for. And then the next step really is to start thinking about what your baselines look like. And then off the back of that, you can start either looking at what sort of platform you want to use as your management dashboard or, or system, or you can start developing your, your own in-house one. That's great. No, really good final tips there. And certainly places for people to start as they start looking at eliminating carbon and building a more sustainable future. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really look forward to catching up with you again in the future and seeing how PAS 2080 is progressing across our industry. Anyone looking to follow our future podcast, please do follow the NICYPP on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And I'm sure we'll hear from us again in the future. Mm-hmm.